Hello, everybody. Just before we get episode 90 of State of the Game underway, my usual reminder about our Barn Boogle Dunes course study tour, probably restricted to those of you in Australia, although if you're overseas, more than welcome to come along as well. It's May 3 to 5. We have some limited spaces left. Uh, three rounds of golf at Barn Boogle Dunes. Lots of holes to be played with Mike Clayton. Special recording of the podcast on the Saturday night where you get to ask your questions and have your input. It's going to be a hoot. Love you to come along. See the links in the show notes. You'll find the brochure and the booking form and for more details. So May 3 to 5, Barn Boogle Dunes. Would love to see you there. On with State of the Game. Hello, everybody, and welcome to episode 90 of State of the Game, the golf podcast that talks about stuff that matters. My name's Rod Murray, and it'd be difficult to put a finger on what matters on this episode, as there appear to be bushfires in just about every direction one looks. The rules controversies continue to fly thick and fast in the professional game, though not according to Mike Davis of the USGA, who says the rules transition is going along quite nicely. His opposite number at the RNA, Martin Slumbers, had a somewhat different take. But obviously realising the potential controversy a rift could cause, Slumbers cleverly cooked up a story about Brexit, causing the organisation concerns ahead of this year's Open at Royal Port Rush. Of course, he almost immediately bailed out of that story, saying there really wasn't any problem, and a terrific Open can be expected. It was perhaps understandable that the press had little energy for these discussions, given the mother of all blow-ups over backstopping brought to us by the LPGA in Thailand, the incident between Amy Olsen and Arya Jatanagan even exceeding the fine work of our own Mike Clayton, who did such a good job last year of bringing that particular issue to a head. So what does it all mean for golf? Are we seeing the quickening? Is the inevitable breakdown of the game beginning before our very eyes, or is it just a rough patch and we can expect a return to normal programming shortly? To ponder these questions and more, I'm joined by regular co-hosts and two of the most respected voices in the game from L.A., Writer, blogger, commentator, and punching bag for the pro backstopping campaign from what I saw last week, Jeff Shackelford. Shack, Shack, bruised and battered or unscathed? Things got pretty nasty. I'm sound asleep uh, in the middle of the night. I wake up and there's all this stuff. And then somehow I'm the one who, uh, because I sarcastically use the word cheating, even though it started with a caddy on the LPGA Tour, I, I, don't, I, don't, know, I don't understand it, but... Uh, it, it, well, I understand it completely. Actually, it was a very layered thing, so very strange. But it, you know, I'm glad it uh, has happened in the context of all these other uh, other things that are going on. I didn't think in our lifetime, Shaq, that we'd see a bigger backstopping blow up than what Clates caused last year. And there you go; it was brought to us by the LPGA, which was a bit of a surprise. We'll talk about that in a moment. Welcome, by the way, Shaq. Uh, good to have you on board. Yeah, thank you. From here in Australia, a man who was surprisingly low profile during this latest brouhaha, commentator, course architect, former touring pro Mike Clayton. Clayton's sensibly keeping your head below the parapet this week, as I think you might have been enjoying a couple of rounds at Royal Melbourne. There are still some good things left in golf, aren't there? Dude, I played Royal Melbourne yesterday, yeah, with the Greens at 15, so anyone who's contemplating playing the President's Cup this year better get that party with a I don't know what you put on the face. I mean, I think a friend of mine came out to Lee Trevino in 1974 and he said he was eating minties, which are sticky kind of sweets, and then trying to somehow put the sticky from the minty on the ball and slow it down. But anyway. <laughs> He'd have been good at um, cricket, Clates. <laughs> yeah, ball, that was ball tampering. Long before ball tampering was... Anyway, Royal Melbourne's going to be sure 
to be fiery and fast in November in December for the President's Cup. Before we come to some of the uh, downsides of what's going on in the game, what does that do to the design at Royal Melbourne to run the greens at 15 and rock hard, Clades? Is it sensible? No, it's silly. It's a way too extreme. I mean, rock hard is great. I love those greens going the hard because you can, when the pin's in the back, you can bounce the ball back there from the front and you can play the course properly. But you know, 11 or 12 is fine. It's mm. perfect like that. But when they're 13 or 14, well, when... 14 or 15, they just get silly. You just, you're just tapping the ball down the hill, just trying to putt from, you know, in any distance really. Can you make the case that for elite players, it makes it a more precise strategy where it's a must to leave the ball below the hole, or is that an extreme argument that doesn't hold water? Well, I think if they're hard, that still becomes part mm. of the strategy. When they're fast, you just, I mean, how can you control the ball from 180 yards and and leave it? Six feet under the hole, as opposed to six feet past it. Mm. You know, I mean, are we all? You know, is, any, is anyone that good? Mm. And, and sure, you can you know, hit it. You can leave it thirty feet short, but you know, should a six feet downhill putt be three puttable when, when a six foot uphill putt is relatively easy? You know, from one hundred and eighty yards, is it? You know, do we need to be that precise and make it that penal when you go six or eight feet long, which I did on the fifth hole yesterday. You know, the seven irons sort of eight feet long and left of the hole. Pretty good shot. And on the famous part three there. And you just basically try and two putt, just dribble it down, tap it in. Because the guy I played with was 10 feet away and rolled it, he rolled it eight feet past with not a bad putt. Mm-hmm. So it's just, you know, it, it's this need to push it one or two or three feet more than what's sensible and what's good for the golf course. Because, you know, I, I played with a member there yesterday. His quote was, I haven't fixed a pitch mark here in eight years. And if you played there, you can believe that. that no ball makes a pitch mark. Mm. There, is, there are no pitch marks on the green. And no ball that hits the green from any height with any shot marks a green. So, you know, that would, that would make them, I would think, the almost unique in the world of golf. I can't imagine there's any other golf course where you literally don't make a pitch mark with any shot on any green ever. Cheap, cheapest souvenir pitch mark repairers in the world in the in the pro shop there, Shaq. Shaq. Yeah. <laughs> well, Clates, are people after the round saying that that was fun? Do they are they? <clears throat> excuse me, are they liking that? Is that um, is that like you know everybody sitting around going, oh, it's ridiculous, unbelievable, so hard, it's great, or are they kind of going, oh, what? Do they just look completely sh- shot after the round? Yeah. Well. I didn't talk to many of the players, but you know, we love going there, so no one complains about it because it's great to play there. And um, the members kind of take perverse delight in you know the fact the greens are so fast and hard, and that, you know they're the ones that don't really have to play them very often at that speeds. But um, you know, yeah, it's kind of a badge of honour. It's, it's a bit like I guess what Oakmont's like. I'm going to play Oakmont, but I guess it's a bit of the same sort of thing. But I remember as a kid going to watch, you know, Trevino and those great players playing at Royal Melbourne in the 70s. And we'd sit up behind the sixth green and kind of laugh and snigger at, you know, those guys kind of dribble the ball down from four foot from behind the hole. And, uh, you know, Bob Charles putted off the green there one year. I remember watching him do that. Bob Charles? Wow. Bob Charles was the greatest, one of the greatest putters ever. Yeah. And Tom Weisskopf told me once, he said, the only the sixth green at Royal Melbourne was the only green I'd ever four putted when I tried on every putt. Wow. So it's, nice you know, Royal Melbourne's got this sort of... Reputation. 
badge of you know, honor or infamy for having greens that are, you know, right on the edge of being crazy and it's not hard to slip over that edge. But the hard, the, the firmness is great. I mean, golf would be so much more fun if we could play greens that were hard like that, but just not 14 or 15 because the combination makes it pretty. No. But, of course, what happens is they think, well, I think they see that that's what they need to do to defend the golf course mm. where – you can't defend the golf course because for, for you know Dustin Johnson, the guys who are going to play there, it's so short now. So you can defend the scores. You can make the scores go up because you, know, you make the green so hard and fast. But you, you create the, the illusion that you're defending the golf course because you're manipulating the scores by altering the setup to where it becomes so difficult to actually putt the ball. So, so, so this defending the course thing with these greens is a complete illusion because – the reality is that when we see that course in December, we'll, we'll see mostly short irons into every hole, mm. including, well, we, we play the 12th hole as a, as a par five in the prime, but it, it, it's a par four for the tournament. But, you know, it's literally a driving, driving a nine iron for those guys. Which is, so uh, it's, uh, you know, you know it's, it's such a short golf course. But if the greens were, you know, typical kind of, you know, running at 10 and softish, they would shoot routinely. They'd be doing 62 and 63 that's on right. it. So yeah. I guess it defends the scores, but, you know, but, but, but that, it doesn't. That's not palatable either, is it, Clay? You, you don't – I don't think any of us want to see that, although I suppose well, – That would be much worse. That would yeah. be horrifying. To, mm. you, you know, watch Royal Melbourne with average run-of-the-mill greens would be awful because it would just be splat. Yeah. And, you know, it's, it's – um, I mean, not that it's an easy golf course, no. but, you know, if you hit it my length, it's, it plays beautifully, yeah. but – you know, Not to derail the, the the yeah. rules the rules contrary, but I'm going to, I've got a question for you, Shaq, about how this relates to Augusta National as well. But Clades, before that, how do you play the third west at Royal Melbourne with the greens rock hard and running at 15? You might as well just chuck the ball down the back of the green there, mightn't you? That, well, that's yeah, almost impossible. I, yeah, you just pitch it 30 feet past and put back up there. But Shaq, you'll be delighted to know I played with one of the members I played with yesterday pointed out the the. Tom Doak, altered mowing line on the second. You know, they had that horrifying patch of rough growing right. on what was the 18th hole in the President's Cup last time. And Doak's taken the mowing line back to where it was. And he said, can you believe some idiot member I played with the other day he said, it's ruined the hole. It's made, it's made it far too easy. And it's like, yeah. well, when, when someone says that, you know not to listen to anything they ever say again. <laughs> because if they're that stupid, then, you know, they know nothing about the gangs. It looks, you know, it looks like it should look now. It's so much better now, yeah. just by chopping that twenty yards of rough out and taking it back to the fairway. And, Don't even let that person know, but, take yeah. your coffee order, Clates, because yeah. uh, yeah. they can't yeah. be trusted. Well, yeah, that's right. Yeah, but we'll come to. Yeah, you know, that's the sort of stuff you deal with. Yeah. You know, you know but, but that hole is. Well, yeah, it was into the wind yesterday. It was a drive and a three, which made to a twenty-yard short. But yeah, put put Brooks Kepka on there, and it's a. Driving a six iron or a seven iron, well, even worse, maybe three, three would five iron. Um, we'll come back to the rough and mowing lines in a minute because I think you've got something you read uh, a couple of weeks ago that that Huggy wrote about the old course. But Shaq, isn't this the same issue that we see with Augusta every year? This notion that you get the green so fast that it becomes a game of don't hit the ball above the hole. What's the famous quote? You, you, you're better off ten feet below the hole than three feet above it at Augusta National. Well, that could be seen as. Strategic, that's, that, um, which is kind of what I was getting ways. at, I think, with Clates. Yeah, you, you've got to control your irons, don't you, to, to hit it in the six-foot box. Mm. But again, it's just a, it's just a way of defending mm. 
the course, uh, instead of letting the architecture be the defense, these are all methods to uh, offset uh, just uh, somebody's perception that the that the course will be defenseless. Some of it's accurate, some of it's not. So um, I just I. Um, I, I was curious what, what, what people were saying after the mm-hmm. round because I, I'm, I'm kind of sensing more and more that uh, I've been getting a lot of questions lately about people wanting to know if there has been research on the correlation between stim meter uh, readings and pace of play, which is exciting to know that people are finally making the connection that pace of play is most bogged down by fast greens on any level it just doesn't matter what what level you're talking about but especially tournament golf because people do understand it that no matter how good of a player you are you're going to mark a a two-footer on a i mean those greens in mexico the way the ball was was breaking forget the poa i was fascinated by how much the players seized on the poa and what i saw were were, were balls just snapping and and the tour works very hard not to put holes in spots where where the ball does that and um, and that, that that was a combination of speed and then just kind of the, the, the contour not being designed for for those speeds and um, people are are realizing that that's just a huge um, a wasted amount of time and I and I think too when you see like an old broadcast uh, the eighty four players those greens were nine nine and a half and Steve Melnick pointed that out and uh, the pace was of the round was so much better you could just it just, it just it, there was so much more going on besides just watching people putt, uh, and that was partly the broadcast, but it was partly the speed. Yeah, so, yeah, and there's no, you know, over the years, there's been no slower place to play golf than Royal Melbourne in tournament time. I mean, it was always yeah. five plus. That was the first round of the 1972 World Cup, was which was played in fours, admittedly, in a teams event, was. Six hours and forty-five. Wow! You know, just torturous uh, because you're always marking. You yeah. never, or rarely, do you let from outside twenty feet or fifteen feet. You really hit the ball up where you can tap it in, and from outside thirty feet, you're nearly always marking it. So it's nearly always three or four feet away because there's such a fine line between leaving it by the hole and and, and having it run four feet past. There's mm. almost no difference in the strike of the, the part. So you're always marking and waiting and three putting and you know it's just it's just a slow torturously slow way to play golf kind of makes me glad i'm not a golf pro just kidding uh, Clay, you you mentioned mowing lines there at royal melbourne and how doke had changed the one back on the second hole i think you said there was a piece yep. that huggy wrote which i saw the link but didn't read it but i know that you did talking to martin slumbers about the old course give us a taste of what slumbers had to say about the old course when the open returns there next time and i think is it 22 21, 22, it's coming back? 21. 21. Yeah. Slumbers, this is quoting, well, this is Huggy. Slumbers admitted that the, the, the next St Andrews Open will feature more long grass than ever before. Quote, the old course can be four or five shots harder depending on where you put the pins, he said. What I'm most concerned about is that the old course is one of the most strategic of our links courses. There is a way to play the old course. There is a way to play it with easy tee shots and hard second shots or hard tee shots and easy second shots. We'll be looking at the course setup, and there is some roughing in to grow that will ensure the strategic nature of the old course remains. The importance of making sure you play the strategy properly will be enhanced. 
it's kind of in, in, incongruous, I think. But if, but if we were to get no weather, no wind and plenty of rain, we all know the Lynx course is at the mercy of those great players. The old course is no different. Specifically, some, this is Huggy now. Specifically, some has indicated that the rough left of the 17th fairway on the iconic road hole will be enhanced in order to force players to the right, closer to the out-of-bounds. The grass on the bank left of the 14th fairway and right of the fifth will also be allowed to grow longer than ever, ever before. Did he put enhanced in in commas, in inverted commas no, there? No. Enhanced. And, 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 and Huggy finishes that, the article off. One hour in, the meeting happily ended on a light-hearted note with the question regarding the 2021 Open. This is Huggy's question. Do you think the ultimate nightmare would be a six-hour round when somebody putting for a 50 and, and someone putting for a 59 with the flag stick in? <laughs> there was no answer to that one. <laughs> Nice work, Huggy Shack. What do you, what do you make of that? That it feels to me like that's taking us down a road we've kind of been down <laughs> all over the place yeah. that doesn't suit yeah. the old course necessarily. How do, what do you, what do you do? What do you say? How do you? It's so dispiriting that 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 level of ignorance exists uh, when you you know that that. I mean, I've just been doing a lot of thinking about the road hole because I, I wrote a story on the fifth hole at Augusta and the elements that, that Jones and McKenzie tried to recreate with that hole. And you, ju- you just want to say, you know, take Martin Slumbers out there and say, now, Martin, let's go way over here on 17. And, and let's stand here and you tell me how it's better to be kept close to the fairway and a, and, and, a, and a ball that stops in the rough versus another 30 yards this way where you see nothing, you have no sense of the road hole green, uh, it, 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 you have no shot. Um, it, it, the, the hole is better when balls are taken, uh, allowed to bail out over there. The, the problem, of course, is that they now can bail out uh, to 335 yards. And hit a wedge um, in over the road hole bunker and stop it. But yeah. they still have no shot from no. there, even with a yeah. wedge. Mm. Blind, it's, it's, I mean, I st- stood over there and, and tried to understand how anybody could think it'd be better to stop balls close to the fairway and, and hack out rough because you're almost, you're doing most of these players a favor. They're, they're not maybe as good as the previous generation with a wedge in their hand, but a lot of them will just wedge out. And they'll have a short wedge shot, and the worst they'll make is five. And uh, when you when you get them bailing out and then attacking the green, but without with no sense of, of ability to see, uh, you're bringing bigger scores into mm. play, and you're bringing the, the the beauty of the hole into play. So it's it's just it's just so frightening that he's point missing that badly. The road and the yeah. wall and everything. And the, the whole whole point of that green is that. You know, that's what forces you to the right if you want to go to the right. You don't need to force someone over there with rough on the left. If, you, if you're no, a thinker, Clayton's doing that. That's right. If you're smart, you know the right, don't you? But if you're not, if you're you bail out left. Yeah. And everything's and, in, in balance, yeah. too. And yeah. you're good. Yeah. Uh, and, and why do you want to stop someone playing a shot as great as Seve played there in 1984? I mean, that was the ultimate you know, fly lie out of the left rough with the six iron with the open on the line. And he hits one of the great shots of his career. Why, why do you want to stop that? Remind us I of mean, the shot. Why do you want him going? Why, why do you want Seve going into the wedge and hacking it out? I mean, you know, it's just 
Mackenzie um, would be horrified at the thought of taking away a chance that that, that hole gives a player to play one of the great shots of his career. Yeah. And it, it was a brilliant or shot. To get in trouble. But I, I'm wondering if they're focusing on Zach Johnson and Spieth and some of the guys and the way they played it in the last Open over there. And um, maybe that's bothering them that they... they um, what do you mean, Shaq, how they, they played it? They basically played yeah. towards the second hole. And, uh, they, they went down the second hole. Oh, right, they didn't match. have good shots from there. They didn't, they didn't have... Uh, they didn't make a bunch of birdies, so it's so it's just it's just bleak. Um, but the good news is they they just continue to do these things, and um, more and more people just just look at them and, and look like and and see how foolish this is getting. Um, the bad news is combined with some of the other things we're going to discuss, the, the 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 totality of it all is that I, I just I don't think people can think any less of these organizations than they do right now. It's really it's it's amazing. The game is taking some body blows, isn't it, Shaq? At the moment, not the game, no, no. Well, the two organizations, yeah, are. yeah, maybe, yeah, indeed. Last thing about the road holder, I, I seem to recall. I'm going to say 2015 or maybe 2010. Watching Paul Casey have a virtual air swing in the hay down the left of 17 there, which may have cost him the open, in effect, eventually. So that's crazy. And I think you're right. Remind us of the Seve shot, Clates, because I remember the Tom Watson shot from on the left side of the fairway there at 17, hooking one into the green, which was a, a remarkable shot with a two-iron, perhaps, if I'm not mistaken. Was Seve something similar? And, and is that what we're being denied, the, the, in, the amazing recovery, which is such an important part of golf? Well, Seve drove it left, the end of the rough. And he had, I don't know what, he had 190 yards, maybe. 180 yards with a six iron he hit, but it was just a flyer lie with a with a terrible angle. So he's got that slither of green over the right. If he pulls it and touches, the ball gets fed down into that bunker. You know, if he hits it a fraction hard, it's out on the road. It, you know, it was a shot that had to land on probably a five or eight yard square at the front of the green and bounce up that tier, which he pulled off. And then Watson drove it way down the right. Back on the tee, asked the master if it was inbounds or out of bounds. That's how close he was to it. But then took a two iron from maybe the same distance Seve had, but on the fairway, far on the right. Well, I think he admitted it was the wrong club. He did he, fl- he flew it over the green, didn't he? Did it land on the downside or something? Maybe I'm, I've went conf- up against the wall. I've, yeah, I've confused myself and made a meal of that hole. I uh, think, but I, yeah. I guess that, that, that's kind of the point I was getting at. I suppose is that we're denied the great recovery and the great mistake, aren't we? If, well, uh, I, 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 you know, going to Stumper's point about the hard, the easy tee shot, the hard second, the hard tee shot, the easy second. The irony was that Seve played the easy tee shot, but the brilliant second. Watson played the hard tee shot perfectly, and then messed up the. Well, no shot into that green tee. He's got a two on his hand, and that's not, you know, that's arguably one of the, well, not arguably, it's one of the hardest shots in the world, especially under that pressure. But, but the, the irony was the bloke who hit the great drive was the one who, who paid, paid the price. Paid the, the price, yeah. Yeah, extraordinary. I just, I, I can't get around the notion of enhancing and, and, and dictating the strategy. Is that like saying fun yeah. run? Forcing players over the right. Why do you want to, you know, that green forces players to the right if they want to go there. Yeah. But let them go the other way and hang themselves. I mean, you know, what was it, James's crate? I mean, always give enough man, always give a man enough room to hang himself. Yeah. Well, that's exactly what <laughs> that eighty-four Seve-like rough gave yeah. gave Seve enough room to do. It gave him enough room to hang himself over there. Yeah. 
But he was genuine enough. You know, he was a genius enough to play the shot he needed to get out of it. Yeah. It it plays into the bigger picture, doesn't it, Shaq? I mean, the, the importance of architecture where this sub sub well growing but subculture of golf, but it's so important in in what those who don't even think about it necessarily see on TV. What makes golf exciting? It's the it's always the architecture that produces the great moments. The players play the shots. But it's the architecture that puts them in those positions, isn't it? And it, not everybody makes that connection, but it's that important. No, not, they don't make the connection until they see that moment where the player is standing there and, and agonizing and the broadcasters mm. set it up well, what the, the dilemmas are, and, and, and then they pull it off. Uh, and then it kind of comes together for people uh, that that's actually what's truly exciting, not just seeing somebody lash out and hit it 320 and have a wedge in it's just so much more uh interesting everything that goes on in the second half of the hole at least in terms of spectating and tournament golf which is um and until they see it they they don't quite know it i'm i'm gonna send you a link rod for the show notes of um the 84 highlights uh-huh. and, and i'll i'll mark it at that spot where Beautiful. it begins with <clears throat> both Seve and watson watson hit a beautiful drive there down the right side, but 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 it's also interesting, Clay. You'll get a kick out of the, the hole is cut, not behind the bunker like they do now. Um, you know where it's basically behind the bunker every day. It's actually just to the. It's in this great little spot between the uh, the, the the front ridge and and the and the bunker, which I don't even know. I got to go. Look, I'm fascinated now. I'm going to go look at my photos to see if that spot's even pinnable even more, anymore because of the way the whole bunker is just gotten all swollen and goofy but um the bunker's pretty swollen even in this anyway so that's the point is that it's um as a viewer and as a fan it's more satisfying when when you see the things that clay's is talking about here where the uh, you know and for Seve, what's interesting when you watch the shot is that it's kind of anti what Seve normally is known for it's the smart play, and he gets himself just on that upper tier, and then he gives himself a chance to, to make a putt. Um, and that's beautiful, too, if you love the sport, that somebody, out of, it's almost out of character for him, but he knew the road all, and he knew the history, and he knew everything that was going on. Um, you know, I've had this chat a couple times with uh, people, including, I'm going to just do a total name drop here, of uh, <clears throat> Tiger Woods. Nice. <laughs> Yeah, about the sixth hole at Carnoustie last year, because I brought it up the way he played that is I thought the, the kind of the highlight of his year, the birdie he made there and the way he played the tee shot. And all he says, you know, after I kind of went through both the, the first shot and the second shot was, yeah, he goes, yeah, you, you know, kind of smiled. Those were, yeah, those were good shots. <laughs> but I mentioned it to Hank Haney and, and he understood what I was getting at was, was, you know, the, Tiger had everything that's gone on in his his life, his career. He comes to the sixth hole. There's out-of-bounds left. As Hank noted, he's just been very drawn to out-of-bounds in his life. Um, He has to hit a cut at it and to avoid the buck. There's all these little things that go into it if you kind of know his history and the moment, and he's trying to win the Open. And when he pulls that shot off and then pulls off the next shot into the wind while you see what the other guys are doing, that's beautiful. That's, to me, Mm -hmm. what's really fun to watch and satisfying as a as a fan not just uh a bomb and gouge essentially and that's mm-hmm. that's the the debate we keep having to have on all these things and you know and to read slumber is not and i you know he knows by the way he knows 
that this is no good, that you're having to do these things. But he also knows they're not going to do anything about distance um, anytime soon. So I guess this is what they've decided is the way to keep managing this problem that they ignored. One up to those playing the drinking game. Let's move to the issues that we came together to talk about partly for this week. That's all fascinating stuff and uh I don't know what you what you do. I say, by the way, Shaq, did I ever tell you about the birdie I made at the road hole? I think the pin was there the day I made that birdie. I'll talk you through it one day. You'll love it. Yeah, you if, let me know if yeah. that's the same hole. <laughs> yeah, well. Great hole occasion. Uh, indeed. Let's move on from that, and let's go to some of these sort of issues of the week or issues of the month. Whatever. I want to start with the backstopping, Shaq, because as I alluded to in the intro, you took an absolute belting on that. I wouldn't have expected the next big backstopping incident to come from the LPGA. I Maybe I'm just not watching enough or not watching closely enough. I know from talking to Clates, he's carried at some LPGA events, that it's just as <laughs> the whole backstopping thing is just as rife on the LPGA as the PGA Tour. But did it surprise you how quickly and how viciously this blew up, particularly given the players involved? I don't know Amy Olsen, but Aria Jatanagan's a player I've always thought was very placid and gentle and extremely likeable and, um, you know, not a model golfer, but a good ambassador for the game and that sort of stuff. Were you surprised that it was... A, the LPJ and B, these two players, and C, just how nuts it went on Twitter. Uh, not really, because it was so blatant, and it was... Um, it was awful. And the stories, the stories <laughs> changed a little bit, and, and uh, uh, of course, we, as veterans of backstopping, have heard the pace <laughs> of play nonsense before. We've never heard somebody dare to bring it up on the last hole as they are playing a ahead while a player is waiting for an official to arrive for a ruling. The logic was so poor, and it just speaks to, you know, just staggering ignorance on their part. Um, although, you know, Aria put on the brakes, you know, she probably had to go and repair the, the, the skeech marks she put in the green from, from the stop she had to make because she was clearly going to go mark the ball. Um, so she, she knew. She knew what was going on. It's just absurd for people to um, somehow, and, and, and uh, there's so many layers and dimensions to it, but to, to, to somehow try and spin that. And so there were a lot more people who kind of came around to the whole thing and realizing it when you saw it that blatantly and that they weren't ashamed and they're kind of laughingly fist bumping. And obviously they're not fist bumping because they got away with something. It's just uh, they were just, just dumb, just, just not smart. Mm. Um, so I think that when you see it that blatantly, uh, it's good for people to see it, um, but it's just horrifying that they the way the rule has been rewritten, uh, here was a perfect opportunity to enforce it, and the, they, they softened the rule to make it – it's really well written, actually. A can lot you, of people – Have you got it there? Sad, Check, can you, can you run a sort of – No, I, I don't have to. Uh, but I can I've got it here. <laughs> surprise, surprise. Clayton's so got it. You know, they finally got off this – this notion that the committee had to sit to both players down and get here each side kind of nonsense that were in the old rules, which of course were not written with any of them. This just never happened. No. So they, they, that rule was written for some crazy, bizarre situation. Well, so they reworded it so that the, the, they didn't have to sit there and listen to the players tell their story. You, you could make a visual conclusion. They were in agreement to leave the ball there. And, and the way the rules written now, that's all you needed, and the LPGA so, chose to do it, which is kind of typical of what all it, these off organizations have done and why we're at this point. Clates. Here's what the rule says. You're a bit muffled there, Clates. The get, get on top of your microphone. You're a, bit, you're a bit muffled there. Fix it. Am I? 
I think so. And I think you might be rubbing your shirt against it occasionally too, which is very annoying for the listeners. So stop doing that as well. Let me, let me sit up. There you are. Yeah, sit up. There you go. The last part of the rule. So there are three parts to it, I think. The penalty also applies if the player makes the stroke without waiting for a helping ball or ball marker to be lifted or moved after becoming aware that the other player, which is this is important, player intended to lift or move it under the rule or two, had required someone else to do so. So Aria was clearly mm. going to mark that ball. So this is, was, how that wasn't a penalty, how they got around that and didn't penalise, well, I mean, Aria was kind of, I'd have felt bad if she got penalised because she was the one that was called off. But, and right. she should have just gone ahead and marked it. Yeah. But how Amy Olsen wasn't penalised, when that's what it says. Makes a, made, made, she made a stroke without waiting for a helping ball to be lifted or moved after becoming aware the other player intended to lift or move it under the rule. So clearly, Jutanagan was going to mark that ball and she got yeah. called off for marking it. Yeah. So how was that not a penalty? It's just bizarre. It's hard to... Uh, hard to it's hard to you know, uh, comprehend uh, that. So a lot of people uh, were not still aware of this and, and they, they had this was a way for it to be explained to more people uh, because it was so so blatant, and yet and yet, it's just amazing how many people said, "Yeah, but they're nice people." And oh, yeah. you know, not, there's nothing in the rules that, unfortunately, uh, for those people, uh, accommodates that. And thank God for that. It shouldn't be. Roberto De Vincenzo um, was a nice bloke too, wasn't he? <laughs> he yeah. signed for the wrong score. That's just. Yeah. You know, that, that it's an unintentional breach. A couple of things that I just wanted to go through first. The, the nonsense about, well, she's not aiming there. Well, nobody aims at water or bunkers or out of bounds either, but they're all no. part of the game. We see pros hit it there every week. So tell you, the pace of play thing is interesting. I was up at Bonville Golf Club. There was a ladies tournament up there last week. I was covering it for the organisers, which was nice. And it's a different tournament because the course is different. So they're playing in carts and the 18th hole uh, – you can't take the cart off the cart path. And I must have seen 30 different players stop their cart in line with the ball, walk 40 yards across the fairway, look at the flag, look at the ball, look at the yardage book, take a yard, walk back to the cart, pull out three clubs, which they should have done the first time, and walk back to the ball. So if you're worried about pace of play, get on with it. Don't, don't be don't be backstopping. The only time golf pros ever worry about pace of play, they, or yeah. they get hurry, is there's there's this, this ball by the hole, which is, you know, it's exactly. so weird. Well, it's the business end of the hole, Shaq. You want to get on with it, don't you? It's, I, it's I actually got um, into an argument on morning drive. I was on the phone because they couldn't um, get me a studio here because it's Academy Awards Monday, so I was on the phone. Which is which is probably dangerous on television. You 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 feel a little freer for some reason. But Paige <laughs> McKenzie uh, claimed that uh, Aria could, would have been icing her if she had made her wait to go mark the ball. You know, it's like it's ten seconds away tops. If she if she shuffles, it's ten seconds. It's and the idea of icing the player out. I mean, the things that golf pros have come up with to defend this little clubby thing. I mean, Judy Rankin trolled me for crying out loud. I had to, I had to throw it back at her. I just said, what would Frank Hannigan say? I mean, and she, cause she thought the world of Frank and somebody like Frank would just go, this is absurd. What are you people doing? And so it really speaks. The larger picture is two things that the, the, none of these organizations, they're scared of the players now to just, just, just to get them together and say, Hey, Cut this out. Yeah, it looks it. bad. If just you know stop anything it. about the game, exactly. just stop it. Yeah. And and you, we, we're, we're, there's just we have other things to deal with. And then 
Um, it, it also kind of gets to whatever this weird change is with the mentality of players that we're kind of all in this together and we're all, you know, fighting together for some um, imaginary amount of money that we'll just kind of split up and you'll get yours and I'll get mine. And um, it, it's such a peculiar mindset. And what people don't understand that I keep harping on is that as soon as the fans sense that, um, the competition will lose uh, an importance or uh, an, an intrigue as a fan. And then as soon as you get gambling in, mm. you think uh, sweet little Amy Olson has a problem when I sarcastically call you know it out as yay cheating. Wait till some gamblers lose money mm. on a situation of backstopping. You think it's ugly now. And you know they're going all in on gambling on golf, and they are not thinking of the ramifications of things like this or the ability of somebody to disrupt the competition. It, it is staggering the lack of foresight that the leaders in the game have right now. And it's, uh, and then they all are bickering. So that's, that doesn't help when they sit down and talk about these things. Lucky. They're talking about all their other screw ups on the rules um, <laughs> that they didn't anticipate. No. So these things don't even, they don't even get to have conversations about these things. Lucky we're here to, uh, to keep everything in check. There's a couple of things about oh, the yeah. issues you raised there. First thing, so I wonder whether the reaction might've been different had that happened on Sunday afternoon, uh, last group. How did the people who were at eight under when that happened, how did they feel about what unfolded on that green? I didn't see anything. But perhaps more importantly, and this might speak to this sort of new attitude that you're talking about, Jeff, it was taken down very quickly, but I was alerted to this incident and I sent the tweet, I texted it to Clates. Uh, The LPGA put out the video and said, since deleted, said, (laughs) you know, sometimes... You know, you need the help of your friends or something similar. Oh. Um, in fact, I've got it here. Have you got it there, Claire? I've got it here. I'll, I'll have a look at it. It was, like, it was staring. It basically said, you know, look at this backstopping um, and how happy they are. I was just – That's we wonderful. We're all – well, and you see that in the mentality often. It's Isn't it wonderful that they're all friends? Isn't it wonderful they they hog after the round and they take off their hats and they just love each other and – you're not going to believe this. Sorry, Shaq. I've just found it. This is oh, the good. LPGA yeah. suite. Sometimes you need a little help from your friends, exclamation mark. Amy Olsen Golf shows at Jatanagan some love after using her ball as a backboard on her chip. Amy tapped in for birdie and is nine under on the tournament. Tune into Golf Channel now for live coverage of the Honda LPGA Thailand. Uh, They've yeah. used the word backboard. Now that that disappeared pretty quickly. That tweet, as you well, know, yeah, and it had the video with it with the the fist bump. I so I don't know. So yeah, well, they have people manning these accounts who are uh, clearly you know, not golfers. Like, yeah, no. Every tour is doing this where they they keep putting people on the accounts who they think will put things out that appeal to um, a seventeen year old. I guess I don't know. And uh, is that old blokes? Is that old blokes like us, Shaq, saying find a young person and put them in charge of Twitter because they it know is, what young people want? Yeah, yeah, they'll tweet things that my kids will tell me were yeah. cool. And, yeah. I mean that's what you're dealing with in yeah. golf right now. There's a bunch of people who basically try to make decisions based on what their kids <laughs> tell them at dinner they <laughs> thought was was interesting. Which it's, which so. tomorrow they won't find interesting anymore. So how do you keep up if you're an old bloke? Oh, I kind of get even that. Read or pay any attention <laughs> to any of it? Yeah. Exactly, Clates. As a player, that message that's coming from the LPJ there, and I think we can safely say it's not. Nobody in the LPGA who perhaps is having any part in running golf tournaments or knows golf. I think it's pretty obvious that uh, it wouldn't be those. But as a player, 
does the organisation sort of taking that stance? What, what role does the PGA Tour, the LPGA, have to play in educating their own players who clearly don't get? There's a lot of players just don't get it. I encountered players last week at Bond who just couldn't get why it was a controversy. They were like, "What? Why? Why are people? This this happens a hundred times a week." Um, yeah, I mean, someone put a tweet up of the play yesterday in Singapore of a player in a bunker. Was that Minji? I think it might have been Minji. I don't know who it was. With, with the ball a foot behind the hole. Yeah. I mean, how could you be that unaware of what happened last week That's to do it again? Staggering, it just, isn't it? It's just because it, you know, it never happened when I played. I mean, it's really never happened. I, no, actually, I never saw an instance where, oh, that's ridiculous. Now, we all knew yeah, what to do. by the way. Hey, Clates, yeah. what about that? How about all these players coming forward and saying, well, this has always gone on in the game? Well, I mean, that is just utter crap. Yeah. I, I, yeah. Where do they get that? Yeah, it's just, you know, it never happened. And um, I, I forgot what I was going to say. Sorry, yeah, I, yeah, 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 no, it was... Um, that just drives me Because we're all blokes. I, and I'm <laughs> yeah. glad you're just yeah. saying that it's true. Yeah. It just, just, just did yeah. not never. happen yeah. players before. In fact, there was a controversy on the European tour in the late 70s. I wasn't playing there, but... An American guy called Rafe Botts was playing with Howard Clark. Oh, I remember Rafe. Yeah. And he went crazy. Clark, he left a ball. He went nuts. He made a big, you know, what are we hell, all helping our mates out here, are we? And that you know, was a big controversy. But, um, yeah, it's just, yeah, the question was, what would have happened if Aria had been playing with her sister, Moria, Ooh. on the last day? Right. Ooh. And Amy Olsen was in the clubhouse one shot behind, and that had happened. Mm. You think Amy Olsen wouldn't be screaming blue murder? Mm. Rightly. Yeah, yeah. The, the fact is, they're so unaware of the, the the potential of what can happen. And there's also this lunatic argument these guys put out that, well, she wasn't aiming at the no, ball; she was that. aiming at the hole. Yeah. Well, yeah. If you're a golfer, you know that. No, you're not. You know, a shot like that, you're aiming to get it within four feet. You're trying to hit a good. You're not trying to hold it. If it goes in, it's a happy accident. Yeah. And the ball's just extra insurance. Yeah. Exactly. You know, it's just a little extra insurance that you think might help. So you leave it there. It, look, it's just it's, it's it's kind of a boring subject, and it's bizarre. And but I just don't get it. One, yeah. one have players want to help themselves out. Why do you want to help the other guy? He's not you know, he's taking money out of your pocket. Right. And the the unfairness to the rest of the field, and, and just the sense of entitlement that was never a part of the game. I mean, having said that, you know, it was backstopping was a was a part of the game till what. Rod, you were doing the rules thing there down that 50, other podcast until the mid fifties, mid fifty two, I think fifty six. Yeah, when yeah, the storm was when the only time you touched your ball was when you teed it up when you picked it out of the hole. Oh, so yeah. balls were routinely left on the green because that was the rule of the game. But that's a different that situation, rule, though, isn't it, Clates? Yeah. I mean, it, it, once that rule changed to allow you to mark yeah. the ball and clean it, then yeah. you know went out of the game. So from nineteen fifty five until this current generation, backstopping was never an issue because yeah. players realised it was. Well, they were tough. They were, you know, Lanny Watkins and Ray Floyd. They were going to help someone out. <laughs> no, no chance. Really? The, the key, maybe, Shaq, is the is the simple rule change required that the ball that gets hit is played from wherever it finishes. That'd be the end of it. Yeah, wouldn't what? It? That would just finish it, wouldn't it, Shaq? Overnight. Well, that's interesting. What? I hadn't thought about that, but you're right. Yeah, I think that would uh, that would make people. Uh, um... Well, but Rod, what happens if it gets knocked into the hole? So it gets yeah, knocked into the hole. Yeah. The, the same as if someone hits it from 170 yards away when it's not clearly not any sort of backstopping issue and it's rubber the green. Bad luck. You, you can't make no, a perfect rule. Yeah, you yeah no, you back can. now. No. Yeah. Yeah, at the moment you put it back. But what I'm saying is any ball that's on the green that gets hit by another ball gets played from wherever it finishes. There's backstopping finished. It, 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 that would have other issues come yeah. with it. I like it. 
but no, you know. it's a ter- no, but no, I saw a guy from 170 yards hit a ball close to the hole, and the guy who was playing with ball, his ball landed on the other ball and knocked it off the green. So you're saying he's, he's got to play the ball from off the green? Mm, kind of, yeah. yeah. He's already sti- How many of those yeah, have you seen? I would incentivize them to go market. From 170 yards, <laughs> you want a pace of play issue, my solution will give you one. <laughs> Everyone will be marking on the, every par three. They'll hit, go down, mark, wait for the next bloke to hit, go down, mark. Um, that sounds like a good idea, Rob, but it's not going to work in practice. They're all the same. No, you've just got to, the tour's got to say to the players, cut yes, this out. That's right. Because we're going to start penalising you. Senior players? What role have the senior players got to play here, Clates? If Tiger Woods told Russell Henley, don't do that, is that what you need to do? Phil Mickelson says to Jordan no, Spieth, t- don't do tour, that. The tour, the tour needs to enforce the rule. Mm. You know, the LPJ. Of course, it's not going to happen to Aria in Thailand. That's why they do it. <laughs> I mean, maybe maybe yeah, they might have right. done it in Mountain Lake, Georgia, but not they're not going to penalise the world mm. number one player playing at home. No. So, but but the tour. I never even thought about that. Actually, decide, they're going to enforce the rule. They yeah. say to the players, "We're going to start enforcing this rule, and you're not going to get away with." This silent collusion anymore. If it's reasonable to mark the ball, go mark it. Are the lunatics no, no. running the asylum shack? Is no, Clates right? No. Is that what's happened? I don't. I, there's just some strange uh, uh, tension, fear factor, something that, that that makes them afraid to tell uh, the, the 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 players to to shape up. And um, I don't I don't know what it is. I, I mean, obviously, I, I know. The, the rules referees on the tour PGA tour well and and it's it's a they are in a really tough spot mm-hmm. in part because on as we know with slow play they they are uh, you know the, the the tour sends subliminal messages uh, that they don't want certain things done and everything is right now driven of uh, by marketing of players as as the greatest human beings on the planet and the most athletic. And so, and it is, it is shocking how uh, aggressive uh, they are about those two narratives. And so there is a, uh, I mean, the, the commissioner backstopped at the AT&T Pro-Am. Oh, so, I forgot about that. Yeah, it's brilliant, uh, isn't it? I mean, there are things <laughs> that, and on television, and I mean, not that he knows he's on the, you know, that they're showing it, but uh, so it, it's, it's a, it's a, a climate right now that makes, and that's why we've never had the slow play penalty that, and, and the enforcement um, that we, we need. Plus another thing that's a factor for these rules officials right now is they are having to be a little bit more uh, on guard and they're getting way more calls for rulings right now because it's this transition period, which mm-hmm. I don't begrudge a player for asking no. Um, for an official right now because they want to make sure they get it right. And they should have known, all the entities in golf should have known this going into this, which is why we needed a, a test period and some test events, uh, a beta period like they do in software and computers where you'd get feedback. And almost, I mean, I've even pondered, should there have been a grace period where we somehow uh, didn't uh, uh, invoke certain penalties or a majority of the penalties while people learn these rules. I mean, I, I never understood going into this how we just thought we'd flip a switch um, and, and, um, and, and have this all work. But that said, the backstopping is more of a, a – Yeah, that's a, a, And the slow play are, yeah. are menta- – there's a cultural thing there mm. and, a, and a fear of making the players look bad element <clears throat> that has run amok. Um, and so the referees are in a really tough spot. 
because um, we don't know what kind of pushback they might get for for getting somebody in trouble or the players just uh, griping uh, and and may, raising a stink. And when they do, the, the the tours run around in circles to please them. Living under par, eh? This is. Uh... This is maybe what it means. This is what we used to. Everything geared towards living under par. I think it's a natural transition to get to kind of where where these new rules are unraveling because, in part, a lot of these players are – you're already seeing people uh, down on these rules because of the way the players are reacting to them, and the players haven't always been right in a lot of these situations. But they have the upper hand, and the governing bodies uh, have discounted that. And now they are really feeling it because, I mean, when you have Ricky Fowler basically just just mocking it uh, on television and knowing what he was, exactly what he was doing, mm-hmm. um, and he's a super popular player who they all uh, are, you know, try to get an ad campaign with, mm-hmm. uh, they have to just be horrified today because it's it's really snowballed now on them. Let's take the the Ricky example. Dropped from the shoulder, hit the ball, got penalised. The rules get hammered for that. Wasn't it fairly clear, Shaq, that if you drop from the shoulder by mistake, you get to re-drop from the knee, no penalty. But if you hit the ball, then you get penalised. How did 5,000 people watching him and his caddy and whoever else was there not say, oh, Ricky, uh, from the knee, mate? How did that happen? the The caddy was looking down. Ricky just shanked a ball out of bounds. We've all... Been in that moment, he is—he's just inside. He's boiling, mm-hmm. and and he just did what people do when they're mad. They give me another ball and drop, drop it. And it. Whack it. I had no problem with that. That was strictly an instinctual thing mm-hmm. from playing golf for a long time now in his life—twenty years, let's say, or eighteen years, whatever it is. That that's just that was that was pure rage at at himself. And and a, and a freak thing. And again, to me, that's one of those where he does know the new rule. He just he just was <laughs> at that moment. There's nothing going on in the mind at that moment, is there? And I think just you're right. We can all understand that. that. Yeah. Yeah. So that's where I get to, and I'd love to hear what Clay thinks. I don't know how you do that, but that there should have been a grace period, a grace period, mm. or a break-in period, or something, and. Um, because there was just clearly no, and, and by the way, I can I, behind the scenes there has been so much discussion about. I finally th- I found somebody who thought they had determined why you just had to drop at knee height. That that even though he gained no advantage, why they wrote the rule the way they did, and and that theory completely got got torpedoed by uh, David Fay. <laughs> I had it on my website for about twenty minutes, and he happened to have checked in and said, ah, you, you don't have that correct. Um, and so it, there is no logic for people as to why what he did gained an advantage. And there is no there is no logical explanation. It's just the change in the rule. They mm. thought they would pick up pace of play by having people drop closer to the ground. Yeah, and, and not having to drop twice. Well, Clates, what do you think right. about what Shaq said? There? Well, I was thinking about the law of unintended consequences of the new rules, talking to a few superintendents. This parting with the flag in is trashing holes everywhere. As people you know, pull their ball out of the hole with uh, their hand and just with the flag destroy stuff. the outside of the hole. Yeah. So it's a hand so, that I see. So uh, these guys, I'm not sure if they have them in America, but these old blokes here use putters with those suction cups on the top. Oh, of the yeah. Oh, that's the worst. And then they've been, oh. so, they've been jag- <laughs> pu- pushing the flag to the side 
chairman their suction cap in oh, and pulled really? the floor out. And just, oh. By the end of the day, the superintendent was saying, by the end of the day, the hole's just a complete mess. Oh, jeez. Yeah, well, got to okay. ban the suction. Those things should have been banned a long time ago. I get it. People have back issues. They don't want to tweak their brain. Yeah, I, I, I play with blokes. Who, I play with blokes who, if they didn't have those, I'd be pulling the hole out of the ball for ball out of the ah. hole for them all day. So I'm pro suction cup. You, you blokes are on your own. Um, yeah. So now I haven't talked to you guys since Riviera, but I got to tell you now Riviera yes. is a little different tournament venue because <clears throat> the greens are just kind of at. At grade, uh, you're, you know, Torrey Pines, you're kind of actually below a lot of the greens watching. TPCs, you gen, ten, generally have grandstands or mounds. But I got to tell you, the guys leaving the flag in uh, from long putts and, and medium-range putts as a spectator was great. Because you oh, knew okay. where the hole was, so you could actually yeah. go, oh this is tracking, this is tracking. Or, oh, my gosh, that's a horrible putt immediately. it Because it, you can't see the white cup. No. out at Riviera and a lot of places. So it actually made spectating uh, better. And it just, there was less of all that nonsense around the hole, all the fussing and handing yeah. the flag from one caddy to the other. And it was kind of nice. It kind of cleaned things up that way. Yeah, yeah. The, 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 that's another law of unintended consequences. For spectators, it's so much better. Mm. Yeah, for long parts, you can see where the flag yeah. is. It's so much better to watch. It's Unless great. you find it jarring to look at, which I still do. I'm sure I'll yeah. get over that, but it's jarring to see. Jarring on the on Adams hitting a three-footer. Yeah. <laughs> jamming weird. it. Uh, jamming. Uh, I, and everybody wants is convinced Augusta will hate the look and will do something. And I They can't. I what can they do? No. Well, they there's a very simple solution, and I'm sure they've already taken care of it. If they If they don't like the look. I'm not. I'm still not convinced that I don't. I don't understand why people are convinced that they will find this so egregious. But all they have to do is have a slightly larger flag stick, as Bryson said. Aren't Saudi they? Arabia. He took the flag out of every hole because the, the thing was just too big. Now this is ridiculous. So he, but I thought there were rules governing the diameter of the flag. No, no. The tour, not... the PGA Tour, has kind of a stock okay. one they use uh, from a company here. Um, and, and by the way, it's a very thin one. I mean, Riviera. The wind started. If it got to 15 miles an hour. Those things look like they were in a hurricane. They, they really are light and, and thin. Um, and so they have kind of one. They basically, they don't, they just recommend. And every course takes their recommendation. Um, so that's okay. that's all it is. But there's yeah. no actual hard rule that the, that these courses have to use those. Interesting. Now, uh, on the downside of that, Shaq, now I know that, Everybody realizes how important the press coverage of tournaments is, and that the press need to be comfortable. The flag in is a bit difficult because I noticed up at Bonville when you're wandering around the course looking for a particular group, you can judge. You used to be able to judge whether or not it was safe to whiz past a green or walk past a green because the flag was out. You'd know they were putting. Well, without that, it makes it very difficult. So, you know, they've lost me on that, Shaq. You know, you'd be approaching greens and you wouldn't know whether somebody was putting and you needed to stop or be quiet because the flag was in. When it used to be, when it was out, you knew. Just be quiet. I'm kidding. Um, let's get rid of all that. Who would have thought we'd be talking about actual flag sticks? That's interesting in itself, isn't well, it, Shaq? That this is where the dis- but this is where the discussion is. In go- if you, t- two years ago, if someone had said you're going to spend ten minutes talking about the flag stick, the diameter, the rules that are covering it, you'd have thought that was crazy, wouldn't you? And yet here we are. It's these are interesting times. I guess is the point I'm making. You well, know? but I think the the interesting part of the flag stick thing. I don't know if you saw. I just did a quick post while I was traveling, but. So we have now Thomas Pagel and Slumbers both saying in different interviews 
that if there does appear to be some performance enhancement, they might have to look at it. And I'm convinced if they do that, uh, that'll be it. That'll be it. Nobody will ever listen to anything they have to do. Mm. They have to say ever again. They will just be written off as as ridiculous organizations that they actually created a new rule that has been very popular at the recreational level. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, you could debate whatever you want to debate on the pro level, but there have been a lot of positives too. And and then they would actually ponder rescinding it because they somehow decided it was performance enhancing. No one will ever listen to anything they have to say ever again. This is the danger, isn't it? It, it, it? Can we read anything into, and this segues nicely into this, Mike Davis comes out during the week, says the whole new wow, rules thing is going healthy. swimmingly, and then slumbers you, at the same time. Yeah, yeah, so slumbers at the same time says, well, not everything's going as smoothly as we like. Are there tension between, there's always tension between them, I'm sure, the two organisations, but there's a need, isn't there, for the rules governing bodies to have a publicly united front? Are we starting to see any breakdown there? Shaq, this must, I can only imagine some of the conversations that must happen between, be like a Ryder Cup, wouldn't it, between the US and, and the RNA? Sometimes talking about the rules. Is there tension there, do you think? Well, I thought Slumbers, uh, that was wonderfully timed because uh, the, the, the Mike Davis comments, everybody who heard them just, just uh, <laughs> pretty much questioned his sanity, mm-hmm. um, and including myself. I don't, I, don't, I, I don't even understand that comment when in the United States, with the winter we've had, uh, at least two thirds of the golfers in this country haven't even played one round with these rules, um, so it was ridiculous in that sense. And then, of course, the way the whole thing has gone made it even more ridiculous. So Martin Slumbers at least sort of brought some semblance that there was somebody sane behind the wheel of this whole thing, going, "Yeah, okay, you, you, you realistically, that's that's just not the right thing to say." But I, you know, I've already started to hear. A little bit of finger pointing. Well, the the the, the drop rule that was the RNA didn't want want anybody placing it, and uh, they do a little of that finger pointing. But I my sense is they're pretty united still. That's best for the game, isn't it, Clates? Much as with you've got to have somebody to point the finger at and complain about when you don't like the rules. But it's important that whoever it is you're pointing the finger at be united themselves, and otherwise chaos lies down that road, doesn't it? If the, we saw what happened with over the drivers back in the early part of this century when there was two different rules on each side of the pond. Uh, and I think that's kind of when they, they sorted yeah. it out. But you, you need those two to be presenting a united front, don't you, for the good of everybody, I would yeah, think. Of course. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Indeed. indeed. Um, Mind you, you, you don't want yeah. the um, RNA presenting a united front with the USJ when it comes to growing rough for the Open Championship. No. <laughs> these, these Taking it a bit too far, you're saying, Clates? Well, well I well, think if the RNA sort of stepped away from the... United front on let's grow long rough everywhere. No, it's not growing, it's enhancing clothes. Enhancing, enhancing the rough. Right. Enhancing the strategy. Enhancing the strategy, up. that's right, by that's narrowing just... the fairways. Oh um, Martin, if you're listening, I think you made a misstep there according to the state of the game panel. That's uh that hasn't done but, much to help. But I think the bigger tension is this this as you guys have seen on social media and elsewhere, the, the reaction players have to this mm. is we need to make our own rules. Yes, now this uh, is interesting. That's a really scary part of all, or not scary, but very, very dangerous part for these organizations that that's the number one reaction each time that these players have. Well, if you talk about unintended consequences, Shaq, all of those pros calling to make their own rules, aren't they going to swim into a pool of unintended consequences if they ever took that on? There's a very good reason why nobody in charge of the PGA Tour has ever wanted to be in control of the rules, isn't there? 
I, there may be financial reasons, actually. Uh, I know there are financial reasons just because I'm sure Tim Fincham, because uh, he was always very quick to, to, to make clear until the anchoring debate. Mm-hmm. Then, he, then he got mad. Um, and, 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 you know, history has proven him right that that was, um, that was a bad one. Uh, that that it didn't really do anything, and it 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 just made more everyday golfers probably mad at them. But he always was very quick to say we're not going to be in that business. And you know he's a lawyer; he knows how writing rules, how tedious uh, and difficult that is. And then he also knows how his players are. That you know people think the decisions book was thick before. Imagine every time one of these players had something happen, they would call up and demand a decision be uh, added to the book. To, to clarify them and to, to get to absolve them uh, and they'd probably get that wish now in this this world where there's nobody just sitting there going oh stuff it go yeah. practice your putting right. and and bugger off <laughs> stop backstopping doing that anymore it's like oh mm-hmm. yes yes that's terrible what happened to you and so and we will we will talk to the people who wrote about it and mm-hmm. we will work with you on this and oh geez, we'll get back yeah, to living under power is that is that a new thing clades did players in your era in peaks of frustration, call for the Pro Tours to write their own rules, or is that a recent phenomenon? No, never. They always sort of laughed at, you know, in our part of the world, they always laughed at the, the perceived ineptitude of the RNA and, and the AGU here and the New Zealand Golf Association, but they never suggested writing the rules. Isn't that sort of healthy? If players want to, in a way? players want to write their own equipment rules, that would be a good thing, but that's not going to happen. Would it? Well, okay, so let's get to that because that's yeah. an underlying part of this too. Don't you guys think that that some of this griping is? I mean, I sense it is. They sense the equipment thing coming, and they also the commissioner has supported this uh, that they should they that this is not necessarily been but a, a bad thing for the game. So not only are these people writing rules that make you look bad, and we can agree to disagree on the drop rule, and but. They're coming for your equipment next, and that's a, that's the vibe I get sometimes in this in these reactions. Yeah, so you think the majority of players would be against code, regulating well, equipment? Well, it's code for they're coming for your pocket, for your endorsement uh, money. They don't yeah, care about the equipment; they just certain care. manufacturers have made clear that if they make these changes in the equipment rules, we won't pay you to play our things anymore. Which, of course, is is funny because then there will just be one other another company that goes okay. We'll put you on our staff. We'd love to add to our account, and we'd love to have you're a nice player, and we'd love to when you're on television have you play in our club. So that it's, but they fall for it. The players believe it. Clayton, are you saying you think that the players, the majority of players on the world's tours today, would be happy if the equipment was regulated? Is that what you're saying? Uh, I don't know. I um, uh, would so, well. The better players should be pushing for it because they, they have more of an advantage. Mm. But by definition, well, there's only believe- a few of them, isn't there? Well, Phil and Tiger have now. <laughs> I can't um, believe the best players Adam. aren't trying to make the game more uh. difficult to play because it only enhances their skills. And it's not going to go back to being as difficult as it was to play when they were playing with wooden drivers and balada balls. But, you know, again, if you were Dustin Johnson and Roy McIlroy, they've got great drivers, you would like, you would like to think that you could reduce the size of the drive ahead and make the ball more difficult to control in the wind because they would have more of an advantage over everyone else who hits the ball 300 yards pretty straight and pretty hard through the wind. So, yeah, you, you would think the push would come from the more influential players who are the better players. But the, the push has always come. 
but they're the ones that are paid the most money by the equipment manufacturers. So, so their silence is largely bought, or, or they well, can't Tiger, be Tiger has been very clear, but Johnson, you know, he did change his tune one day in an interview. You know, he had he he understands that, and then he and then he did change his tune mm. probably because somebody called him, and he's a nice guy and doesn't want to just deal with. He doesn't want to get those phone calls, <laughs> um, and he's not a yeah. he's not an advocate type. But it, I think the most interesting one is Phil, who does get paid well and who loves to support his his company and he loves business and money and all that. But he did have I, I would you know he'll never tell us he did clearly have a light bulb moment when he realized, wait a second, this guy's this guy can't play with me. What's what, how's he getting away with these shots? So he did have it, and Adams had it, but. Uh, uh, but but I think the bigger is more this rank and file, the importance of all these rank and file players and coddling them, and and that's what that's where I think it's changed. Clates is that the big names get their uh, you know they pay attention to them, but guys that nobody's ever heard of start griping about these things, and these tours are running around in circles like, oh yes yes yes, we we want you happy. Uh, it's weird. It's weird. Yeah, I mean, there was Billy Horschel's tweet last year about less profits, you know, reduced right. ball length leads to reduced profits for manufacturers and less money for us. Right. Like, as if you're the most important person in the game, Billy. Correct. Yeah. yeah. You think trying to make the second at Royal Melbourne a driver four on hold par five again instead of a driver eight on might be a good thing for the game. It's a bit more important than your endorsement money. Well, they're all... Anyway. They're all tied That's kind of in. What you're dealing with, yeah, they're much less direct connections between those, aren't they, Clates? Actually, it would be better for Billy if it was still a driver four iron hole because puts him in a. At least he's prepared to engage in that. So there's no question he believed what he was saying there, but he was at least prepared to engage, Clates. And I yeah. give him marks for that, Billy. I don't agree with a lot of what he says, but he's happy enough to have the debate with you. Um, most times, we might even see him down here for the the Presidents Cup. I think I'm with you, Shaq. I think if well. it, I, I I think it. <laughs> Will we see you, Shaq? What's the go there? Not- I don't know. I don't know who you're going to see for this Presidents Cup. I'm not. I'm not. I told you guys. I'm not sensing no. uh, in our our dilapidated state of uh, media and different things. I'm. I'm in the time of year. Budgets have been uh, emptied. I'm. I'm. It's going to be interesting to see how that event is uh, so covered the, and handled. And so, so the premise is that we might not see as much press. As we have at the yeah. two previous Presidents Cups, that's a big deal, isn't it, Clates? The whole point. I mean, the Presidents Cup itself, the event, and the television coverage is one thing, but all that peripheral stuff is kind of what the government's paying for. I remember Shaq when you came here in 2011, you went back and wrote on maybe a four-part series on golf on the sandbelt and golf in Australia yeah. and stuff that you, know, you can't buy. That you're not going to get it on the golf channel coverage. That's all important, isn't it, Clates? If we don't get the American and international press coming here in the numbers that they had previously, um, we might not see another President's Cup. We saw it with the World Cup of Golf, didn't we? Almost, well, there wasn't even much local press, was there? There's a real conundrum here about big-time golf events, and, you know, the the whole point of them is to sell this region to the rest of the world. If the rest of the world doesn't come... Well, I suspect that the biggest influence on the, the Victorian major events, or whatever they're called, who pay to bring the tournament here is, is how many people watch on TV. Right. I mean, sure, you know, Shackle, but article on the beauties of the sound belt is nice. Yeah. But, you know, they're looking at how many people are watching on TV, and I assume yeah. the same number of people who watch on TV, it'll be massive, and you know, people will watch, and people get to see Melbourne, and 
Have they got that right then, is the question. Is the people watching on TV more important than Shackelford's four-part series that might actually inspire 15 golfers? And I mean it in this way, Shaq. Lots of people will watch the President's Cup on TV who aren't necessarily golfers. It's a big event, a bit like the Ryder Cup. Lots of people will, will watch it who you know play very little or no golfers. Certainly most of them will have no intention of coming to Australia. However, that four-part series that you wrote might have been read by 15,000 people, 2,000 of whom actually will go, do you know what? Bucket list, I'm doing that in two years, and will come to Melbourne, play the same. There's a very tangible benefit there. So is just the television viewing numbers, is that the right metric, Shaq? I don't think it's the right one, uh, but I, I think Clayton's is right that that's the one that they most look at, uh, at least at least uh, the, the, the organisers of the event. I don't know about the government, the people who are paying. It, uh, I think we all know that, it's a it's a it's a it's a combination of all those things the the players uh, getting there early and and you know in our world now doing a little social media that you know uh, I don't know Ricky Fowler comes uh, a week early and and takes a trip to Tasmania and and you see a few pictures pop up there or uh, just all the little different things that go into a bunch of different people coming uh, and the coverage is people hear snippets in different ways or golf channel having a, a big set there and, and really being on live a lot and um, highlighting the region. Uh, it's, it's, it's a, it's a bunch of elements that come together. I think at least it used to, it's more social media driven now. Um, but ultimately, yeah, TV is what they think. Um, but then they, then they also, the, the organizers sit there and they look at an empty press room and that, that bothers people. And whether they uh, think that stuff has much impact or not, and then of course television uh, picks up a lot of that that coverage as well. So it all kind of works together. It's all a little bit mysterious and hard to explain sometimes, maybe to somebody who's sitting there trying to understand how it all works. There's no What's magic the formula. Mm. The main thing is that you just you want a lot of people there and yeah. excited. And yeah, I, I just don't know how if it's uh, if it's going to happen. Are, are you saying? I mean, but you know, You'll have the big name players, and mm-hmm. they'll be there. And oh yeah, 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 yeah. That'll be a. It's yeah, not going to be a flop. Be, <laughs> but no, well, yeah, it's not going to be a flop. No. But it's it it it, um, it just depends on their goals and what they're trying to do. But obviously, if tourism and travel is a big part of it, uh, the, the 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 broadcast just essentially does uh, visuals and and little uh, things going to and from commercials. They don't really do anything more in depth. Are you are you saying, Shaq, that Clates and I might walk into the media room in November and find? A room full of influencers who've been paid to be there, rather than they get their way paid to these things. Sure, yes, you may, that may be what you uh, you may be uh, sharing lunch with uh, that that crowd. What do you think about that, Clates? We've talked about this before. How the game used to be covered, and how that's what, that's a media discussion, yeah. not a golf discussion. But as a player and longtime golfer and part of the media, what do you think? I, I've some, I've got some concerns about that. It's not that it's all bad or all good or anything, but I've got some concerns about what that does to the way the game gets covered. Yeah, um, yeah. Well, when when you walked into the press thing years ago, there were golf riders there, everyone knew and trusted. It's a much different place now. But hopefully you're there, Shaq, and Huggy will be here, and Eamon Lynch is going to be down here, I think, which is good. Oh, that'd be great. So, so there'll, be a, there'll be enough of us to create our own interest, hopefully. Sounds like a podcast I panel I right there. existence. Yeah. Well, yeah. things are changing so quickly, aren't they, Shaq? Who knows? Maybe uh, 
who knows what's going to happen between well now and you know and, and, and part of the problem is that yeah we're we're uh, some a lot of these independent golf media entities are dying because um the the, the tours now want to be in the media business they want to control the message and they want to um, you know the PGA Tour greets you at their leader uh, leaderboard with a pop-up ad. You know they're trying to they're trying to get in the ad business too. And uh, is it working? They scratch their heads when they don't get uh, the the full coverage that they expect. Well, is it working, you know, Chad? Is it working, working for fans? Annoying yeah. people. Uh, no, it annoys I think so too. Because, yeah. Um, they 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 kind of expect if it's they're going to use something that is the official organization's. Uh, site like we have with baseball or the NFL, that's kind of where they go, knowing they're 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 going to get a cleaner experience, or they think so. When they are clearly in the business of of also competing for eyeballs for the content, um, it it uh, I'm not sure if people are really drawn to that. They kind of still want an independent voice. They don't want the house organ, uh, and they definitely don't want it with with uh, a bunch of of ads when. Yeah, when the whole the entity is a nonprofit organization, uh, and and they're not only are they trying to profit from your eyeballs, but they do it in a way that's just uh, annoying, clumsy, and, you know? and and like what would you do, Shaq? It's it's a much more complicated equation than it used to be. It was pretty simple thirty years ago. You were the PGA Tour. You wanted every imaginable press, radio, and television outlet to cover your event, you went out and coveted it. And then suddenly in the 90s and early 2000s, with the advent of the internet, you had to have a presence on the internet. Now we've got a situation where you're competing with those same people that you want to come and cover the event. How would you deal with that? I don't know what the answer is to that. Well, I understand it because they report to the players, and the players don't like uh, uh, an article that's anything but a a 100% celebration of their uh, incredibleness. So that's kind of their focus and marketing people are most of the executives now at the tour. And so they want, they want propaganda Mm -hmm. Um, no matter how many times we've seen through, through the world, through life and through history and sports and and entertainment. As soon as people start reading what they know is just a propaganda piece, they just move on to the next thing. They don't read it. It doesn't, it doesn't score points and, um, and then when, when, when we do great coverage of somebody who has an amazing story or an amazing comeback, uh, there's also an element where it resonates in a deeper way um, and, and uh, a more profound way to the reader or to the viewer. When Golf Channel does an amazing feature, uh, there's just not that, that sort of sheen and that sort of shine and gloss that, that, the, more, that the house – publication puts on those things and it's just it has more power when that's the case so they need to just accept that when somebody makes a mistake and they uh and there's there's a critical article that's part of the the world but that that's that that mentality is uh you know it's going by the wayside and has been for a while dangerous times times. i've just looked at the time and seen how long we've been going for and we should probably wrap it up because i'm sure you've got a tea time at metro this morning clate so we don't want to keep you from that having endured the harshness of royal melbourne yesterday you can you can go i'll go and play some slow greens i'll play some greens at 13 
13. Oh, 13. Wow. <laughs> That's exactly right. And, oh, would be nice. And if you get a bad lie at any point today, Clates, make sure you tweet it out. Because I think you told me once that you've played at Metro for 40 years and you're yet to have a bad lie. So <laughs> that'll be a momentous occasion if it was ever to happen. Yeah. I can't remember finishing it. The last time I finished in a divot, there was a big divot debate yesterday what about the divots at the Honda. Oh, there was how that. much time do you have, Clates? Because I, we, we, yeah. I got to ask you about this. Yeah, yeah. Okay, so you understand the problem. Okay, Bermuda or Kikuya, it just kind of explodes. Yeah, you can't, there's, nothing to, there's nothing to put back. Right, but and that's always been the case. This is not a new thing. But in the past, a player would, you know, kind of kick it in a little and, and just try to leave the thing not looking like a war zone. And so what's happening is, and of course, being a writer, I'm next to the rope, so a guy... Uh, or a woman, I saw it at Wilshire last year a lot, and it was weird. They have Bermuda fairways. They hit their shot. The thing kind of explodes. And you'll sometimes see the caddy kind of look at it, and then the player's already walking off, and, like, the caddy's kind of like, oh, what do I do? I need to I need to follow my player. And they leave this thing behind, and, and anybody who's played the game any length of time looks at that and goes, well, that looks bad. And I go, well, yes and no. It's partly the turf, the kind of turf. And they're instructed to kind of leave it, but I get what you're saying because they didn't even like making a minor attempt to leave it a little uh, okay for the next person who comes through. So it's a bad look for pro golfers to anybody who's been around the game a while, but I get why they do it because they've kind of been told that, leave it, you know, we'll fill it in in the afternoon kind of thing. Yeah. You would think, Mike, summertime, again, at Royal Melbourne yesterday, Bermuda Fairways, most players use sand, I kind of don't use it because you're a pro uh, and, a, and a couple of the, again the guys i played with i i'd take a not a deep divot just a scratching divot but mark the turf and they'd sort of look at they'd sort of come over with a bucket bit of sand and i'd kick it I'd, I'd smooth it over and kick it back into the point where they couldn't even see it again you know because you, you can kick it over and make and, and pretty much repair it yourself so but yeah you've got to make an effort i mean bang the side hey, and okay. kick it in and you know make some attempt to leave the, that part of the ground better than it was. Yeah, and I guess this is like the the backstopping where I just don't, as a golfer, I just felt dirty if I if I had left a ball somewhere and that somebody might be annoyed by on the green, or I felt dirty if I didn't make some effort to leave the course somewhat better. And there's just, I guess there's just a shift that that that, isn't an obligation anymore to, to players to kind of to, to have those responsibilities. I mean, I hate to sound like an old mm. yeah, buddy no, here, but yeah, just make an effort. I think there's a cultural yeah. shift. It's probably a subject for another, but there's, it feels yeah. to me like there's a generational cultural shift amongst the players themselves, Clates. It's a different game for them than it was for you. That feels like from the outside that that's what's, that's what's happening. We'll, Maybe, yeah. we'll talk but, about that. Yeah, of course, the ones who leave the divot, the first ones to complain when they finish one. <laughs> right. later. Yeah. Campaigning for a free drop out of the divot. I've got to tell you, Clates, yeah, that, that kicking in the divot and the, so that you can't say that's a real power move. That's a pro move. Us amateurs, that's like a flop shot to us. We can't get that. That's a pro move. So. Can't get that? Can't do it. It's not that complicated. Can't, can't be done. Uh, only pros can yeah. do that. Yeah. So, uh, good on you for no doubt. They were probably talking about it after the round, though. So I was like, Did you see how he cleaned up those divots? That's amazing. Yeah. By the way, it is interesting that that uh, I'll tell you this because we didn't talk after Riviera, but but Spieth makes a real effort to look at his green book, not at the greens on his way to the green. And Tiger Tiger was looking at the green book a lot, and he would like 
he would like put it kind of he'd be in a catcher squat you know and he'd have it kind of in his groin area like 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 kind of quietly looking at it like he's sort of ashamed of this thing it's they they, they both are of that have a little of that well tiger has a lot of it and speak though even is kind of an old soul a little bit that way like he kind of knows it's just it's, it's just he, he loves his green book <laughs> but uh but he, he, he kind of knows it's sort of it's a guilty sort of. pleasure what's yeah, the answer yeah. to that though shack what do they do i mean you can't ban books Get rid of the things but but how do you do it you can't ban books you can't ban the green being mapped on your behalf and you know or sketched on your behalf by somebody I, i'm not sure i can see her because shaker of course got done for that was crazy, wasn't it? Using last year's green book with the oh, wrong. What a moron! I mean, what a total moron! Yeah, First, they've right. resurfaced the greens, so you got to get the new book, even if they claim they didn't change any contours. You got to, you know, something changed. What's the book cost? And then he's using the one that's too big. Yeah, and, that's right. and you know, it's it's they are smaller now. So he's, now you see players like getting the thing closer to their face, which is also embarrassing. Speed took me through the book at Riviera. It was really fascinating. I have no idea what he told me, but. Can you read it? I've seen one, and it's just like... He pulled it out, and he starts showing me this putt that I had asked about, and took this, and I'm looking at the arrows, and I'm going, what the <laughs> hell are you looking at? I just look at the ground in front of you, for God's sakes. Everything breaks to the ocean, and then just look at it from both sides, and you'll be fine. Like, what are you doing? Because um, he hit this atrocious putt, and I was kind of trying to get at, like, did you kind of just overlook at the green book on that one? Oh, no, no, no. He was very uh, confident that he had read it right. But then he then took me through it. And it was fascinating. And I, and then he was sort of embarrassed, like I went way too in-depth there. And of course, <laughs> I, I love it. I, I could listen all day to a player kind of sharing their their thought process, even if I don't understand it. I think it's fascinating. And um, so he, he – but, I, Rod, it's very simple. As soon as a guy starts looking at his yardage book on the greens and another player, as Cameron Tringali did yesterday with Tekka, sees that it's not – on the up and up, they're going to, you know, some guys okay. are going to get turned in. Yeah, it'd be better. I won't. The game would be better without them. We all know that. But Yeah, no, they're just. They're it's just rarely as straightforward as that in golf. Chance, we've been at it too long. Clates, enjoy your round at Metro today. Thank you for your time. It's always terrific to hear Thanks, from you. Yeah, terrific. Pleasure. And Jeff, yeah, indeed, indeed. We didn't get to hear anywhere near enough about Riviera. Clearly, Jeff, I feel like you got a bunch of stuff to get off your chest, so we might have to do another podcast about Riviera in the rearview mirror at some point okay. in the future. But thank you for your time today. It's been terrific. Episode 90, State of the Game, done and dusted. We're getting back on a schedule, folks. We're getting back on a schedule. We're not there yet, but we're getting back on a schedule. So we'll be back to do it all again soon here on State of the Game. State of the Game is a Talk and Golf production. Theme music, Writer's Retreat, provided by Lloyd Cole. Visit www.lloydcole.com for more information. For more golf podcasts, log on to www.talkandgolf.com.